Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again today, and I trust that you have been tuning in every week to follow this series that we began about three weeks ago in the book of Hebrews. And I trust you're being blessed by it. We're really going to take our time and, and try to unpack this book of Hebrews because it's such a powerful, powerful treatise of truth of the new covenant. You know, some time ago the Lord spoke to my heart and said to me about, you know, uh, study to show yourself approved, uh, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I could literally do a whole program just on that, but the thought that really uh, touched me when the Spirit of the Lord began to speak to me through that passage was rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth is not necessarily just being able to take Greek and Hebrew, and I'm certainly not against any of those, but it's being able to understand what is truth in relationship to the Old Covenant and what is truth in relationship to the New Covenant. And that's what this book of Hebrews is about. Before I really get into the second chapter, because for the last three weeks we uh, really kind of dealt with uh, opening the book of Hebrews, and we did three, uh, three segments prior to this just on the first chapter. If you missed that, you can go back to our YouTube page and watch anything that we have aired to date is archived there, and we will probably title this playlist the book of Hebrews. Uh, you can go back there and watch it anytime in your leisure, and uh, you can also go back and get our podcast on iTunes for this uh, segment, and also you can get it on an Android device by simply going to... If it, the easiest way to do any of that would be to simply go to my website at lynnhiles.com, and it will be on the screen throughout the program, and you can, uh, right in the opening screen, you're going to see uh, the TV program. All you have to do is tap on it, it'll take you straight to... Uh, it'll take you straight to uh, our program there on YouTube, and you can watch it on any device you have. You can watch it on your iPhone. You can watch it on a smartphone. You can watch it on Roku. You can watch it on so many. Everything has YouTube, smart TVs, everything. So even if you don't get cable and you saw this in a hotel and you said, but I don't have th that channel, uh, you can watch it if you have Internet. Uh, that being said, I want to get right into the Word uh, today and begin to uh, just unpack some things and see how far we can get today. But thank you for joining us, and I, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Chapter 2 of the book of Hebrews, it says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast in every transgression and disobedience, received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him. Now when I see a text start with therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed. When I see therefore, I want to see what it's there for. And uh, just to go back by way of review, if you, you know, what is following is on the heels of some of the things that he said, especially towards uh, the latter part of uh, chapter 1 of Hebrews. Now, what we really shared with you uh, for the first three segments is that this book opens by saying God, who at sundry times and in times past, spoke to us in, through, and by the prophets, hath past tense in these last days spoken to us by the Son. 
And we did a lot on this on the first couple segments that the last days that he's talking about here are not the last days of some future uh, uh, dispensation. It was the last days of the old covenant economy. And so he was saying God under that covenant spoke to us at time past in through by the prophets, hath in these last days spoke to us through the Son. He sent the Son to speak. Now that doesn't mean that God doesn't still speak to us through prophetic words or any of that. That's not what I'm saying. But what he's saying is that this new covenant was not delivered by angels or by prophets. It was delivered by the Son Himself. And so he calls, and this is going to be key all through this book, so if we don't kind of get this, if you haven't heard this yet, go back and listen to some of the other programs. But if we don't understand this, we're not going to understand the transition that's going on, that the last days, that these Hebrews are literal Hebrews in the first century, probably somewhere between 65 to 67 A.D., when this book is being written 30-some years into the New Covenant. And whoever the writer of this covenant is, he's trying to uh, address these Hebrews who are wanting to go back to Judaism, to the Old Covenant paradigms. And he's saying to them, everything about this New Covenant is better. Uh, it's got better blood. It's got better promises. It's got better sacrifices. It's got a better tabernacle. It has a better priesthood. It has a, a better city. Everything about, has better faith. Everything about this new covenant was better. But one of the things he says to them is that, you know, God hath in these last days spoke to us by the Son, and it talked about the work of Jesus as he came, uh, you know, not only uh, he came not, not like angels came to deliver, but he came as a son. And because he is the Son, God exalted him far above uh, you know, all the highest angels when he said, let all the angels of God worship him. But to the Son, he saith, of course, in, in, in chapter 1, your throne, O God, is forever, and your scepter is a scepter of righteousness. So the intent of, uh, uh, of, of the work and ministry of the Son was to set things right. One of the things that I posted this week on my Facebook is, uh, you know, that I'm just driving down the road, the Lord just kind of dropped it in my heart like this. He said, listen, I'm not mad at my creation. I'm in the process of rescuing it. It's this ongoing business of salvation that I'm in. I'm, I'm not out to destroy people. My heart is to save them. My purpose is to bring about, if you will, new creation. And so he tells them that his scepter is a scepter of righteousness. In other words, he reigns in righteousness. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's righteousness, it's peace, it's joy, and it's located in the Holy Ghost. It's God bringing everything right and setting right things that have been wrong in the earth and bringing about a system not like our legislative system, but a real justice that comes through uh, the work of what Jesus did on Calvary's tree. I don't want to get bogged down in repeating a whole lot of things, except I want to come back to this in verse 10 of Hebrews 1, because we're still springing, but therefore we ought to give the most more earnest heed. He said, Thou, O Lord, in verse 10 of Hebrews 1, in the beginning hast laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish but thou remainest, and they shall wax old as doth the garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall fail not. But to which of the angels said he any time sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? 
Now, I'm going to tell you uh, that he subjected all things to the Son. And one of the things that he declares is that he tells him, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, no matter what your theology is, probably everybody will say, boy, I read the last book of the Bible and we win. The truth of it is, the way some people preach the last book of the Bible, we don't win. But I'm telling you, God made a declaration that, that, that every enemy will be put under the feet of Jesus. Now, I believe He did that in His death, burial, and His resurrection, and it was, it was absolutely finished in the finished work of the cross. But that finished work also is, is if you will, uh, uh, an ongoing result of what Jesus did to bring about all creation and to bring about a brand new creation. And what this book of Hebrews is about, and even this transition that's happening here in these last days, is there's an old creation that's passing away and a new creation that's coming on the scene. And when he says in chapter 2, Therefore, we, we uh, need to realize what it's there for. We need to give the more earnest heed to the things which we've spoken. For if the word spoken by angels had an impact or it had a just recompense of the reward, the, 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 the message spoken by angels he's talking about here was that he talks about the law of Moses later on in the book was delivered by the hands of angels and had a mediator. But in this new covenant, God doesn't deliver it by the hands of an angel. He delivered it by the Son Himself and offers us a new creation. He offers us a righteousness that comes as a free gift. He offers us, uh, if you will, uh, uh, being part of this whole grand making all things new and this whole new creation and then not only offering it to us individually because we need first of all to be rescued and then we become part of the agency, we'll see that in the next chapter, of being part of this ongoing new creation project. We're involved with this. We're in this mission together with Him. But one of the things that I saw uh, this week, as a matter of fact, that I did not see even last week when I was, uh, you know, when I was filming the, the other three programs that you've already got, is I, I began to see uh, where He was talking about, Thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of Thine hands. They shall perish, but Thou remainest, and they shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same. But thou art the same, and thy years shall fail not. Now I, I went back, and um, something began to catch my attention in Isaiah fifty-three that I didn't see before. Because I know we can take about you know in the beginning thou hast laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens, and we could take that clear back to Genesis. And yes, I believe that is part of it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But here's something that I saw in Isaiah 53 that really fit with this context, dealing with the covenant people of God and the covenant idea that He's dealing with. Isaiah 51 verse 13 through 16 in the New King James Bible says, this is verse 13, and you forget, and you forgot, I'm sorry, and you forget the Lord your Maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. That's the same words he's using in Hebrews chapter 1. In the beginning thou hast, uh, thou hast created the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. You have feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor when he was prepared to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? The captive exile hastens that he may be loosed, that he should not die in the pit. 
and that his bread should not fail. But I am the Lord your God, who divided the sea, whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is his name, and I have put my words in your mouth, and I have covered you with the shadow of my hand, that I may plant the heavens and lay the foundations of the earth, watch this, and say to Zion, you are my people. Now in this context of Isaiah 51, verse 13 through 16, when he's talking about uh, laid the foundations of the earth and stretching out the heavens, same words he's using in Hebrews chapter 1. He's not talking about the Genesis account. He's talking about the covenant people of Israel because he said, and say to Zion, you are my people. In other words, he said, I have put my words in your mouth. I have covered you with the shadow of my hand, that I may plant the heavens and lay the foundation of the earth and say to Zion, you are my people. So what I really begin to see was that when God stretched out the heavens and laid the foundation of the earth, it is a terminology that is used to deal with the covenant people of God. Now let me take my time again and kind of unpack this a little bit because when I started thinking uh, in terms of God's intention and purpose is to rescue His creation. It's not interested in destroying it. He's interested in redeeming it and bringing about new creation. As a matter of fact, the book of Revelation ends in one of its final chapters in chapter 21 by saying, Behold, I make all things new. And he said, write this down because these words are true and they're faithful. So God's interest is in bringing about a new creation. Now we know that in the beginning, interestingly enough, chapter 1, verse 1, book of Genesis says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the great deep, and the Spirit of God moved or hovered over the face of the great deep, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now in the beginning God creates the heavens and the earth. Now what's really interesting to me is that the word beginning there in the, in the Hebrew language, the word beginning is a Hebrew word that means first fruits. So it literally could be translated, in the first fruit, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the first fruit of that creation, or the place where heaven and earth met together, and where the covenant resided was in his covenant man, which was Adam. And if you can't see heaven and earth being joined together in that man, listen, when God leaned over the balconies of glory and began to create, he said on the morning of the sixth day, let's make a man in our image and after our likeness. And like the hand of a great potter, God began to take a, a lump of red clay and he began to shape himself or his image into the likeness of that clay. And I could kind of see Michael look over at Gabriel and say, but he's out of the earth, and because he's out of the earth, he's going to be earthy. But about that split second in time, God ascends into the deepest depths of spirit substance, and he sucks his lungs full of a breath of heaven, and he comes down on Adam and gives him mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation, and he breathes into him the breath of life. And heaven and earth are joined together in the first fruit. Hallelujah. There's so much to say here that I just get overwhelmed when I start to unpack this stuff. But he puts the heavens and the earth together in a man. You could go back to Genesis 1, I believe it is, somewhere around verse 5 and 6, and it says, And God put a firmament in the midst of the waters to divide the waters which were above the firmament from the waters which were beneath the firmament. And it was so, and, and God called the firmament heaven 
capital H-E-A-V-E-N. In other words, the, the heaven in its original location was between the above water and the beneath water. That's that's not, I don't think that's so deep or profound that people can't wrap their heads around this. The above water hang in what we call clouds. The beneath water hang in what we call oceans, seas, rivers, and lakes. So that we are between the above water and the beneath water, and we are in what was in its original state, Genesis 1, I believe somewhere around verse 6, 7, somewhere in that range. God called it, and if you look it up in the Scripture, a capital H-E-A-V-E-N. So heaven and earth were together in their original creation, and then not only were they together in their original creation when God created it, but God put heaven and earth together in the person of a man, Adam. He was, very, he was, he was to, to the blue ball called earth what God is to the invisible realm called heaven. And we're going to see as we go on a little bit further that he even quotes the scripture from Psalm 8 in chapter 2 of Hebrews when he says, what is man that you are mindful of him, that you, that you put him over the works of your hands. See, in the original creation, God put a man who was in his image over the works of his hands, and, he, and everything that God did, he did it through a man who had connection to the best of both worlds, the visible and the invisible, the human and the divine, the spirit and the natural, so that if you see this man, even as you read the book of Genesis, it has to pass through your thinking, is this man in a garden, or is the garden in this man, or is it both? See, the place where heaven and earth met were in a man. And there's so much I can say here, but I'm, I only got 30 minutes in a segment to say some of this and make sense of it. That man, of course, you know, out of disobedience, disconnected from the divine source of heaven. And as a result, there was a fall. Heaven and earth separated to where the writer of the book of Psalms said, the heaven of heavens is the Lord's and the earth was made for the sons of men. There's been a, a, but, but from the moment of that transgression and the moment of that set separation, God began the process of new creation, the process of bringing back together again the heavens and the earth and he does it in the midst of a covenant people. We'll see that as we progress just a little bit further. It is interesting to me, however, before I move on, that the first Adam was not deceived. The woman was deceived, but Adam purposely and intentionally chose to do what he did and partake of that. And, and, and I could see, you know, if you just give me a little bit of poetic liberty here, I could see God look, I could see God look over at the angels and say, the moment that the woman fell and she's offering Adam the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I can see God look with heartbreak and say, he's about to leave us. He's going to leave us. He's going to leave the heavens. And he's going, to, and the reason he is is because he's going to be joined to a bride. And uh, I could see Michael probably say, how do you know He's going to leave. It looks like he's going to leave us. He's going to leave all the splendors of this dimension, and he's going to leave us. I think that Adam knew he was under a command to leave and cleave. God knew that he would leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. So he was leaving the splendors of heaven, but the first Adam was doing it out of rebellion. And I could see uh, God say, how do you, I could see the angels literally say to God, how do you know he's going to leave us? And God would say, it's because it's what I would do. I too would leave the splendors of heaven to be rejoined to my bride. 
So we know that as 4,000 years of human history passes, God wraps himself in human flesh and comes down as the man Christ Jesus, because God's not going to do this through the hands of angels. And since this thing came by man, since death came by man, then reconciliation and redemption also has to come through a man. And this time, this second Adam comes down from heaven, but he leaves heaven not out of disobedience, he leaves it out of obedience, and he's about to be rejoined to his bride where he could bring together both again heaven and earth. Because you see in the person of Jesus, in the person of Jesus, he is the new creation. He is both human and divine. He is very God and very man. He is the seed of the woman, but he's also the son of the living God. And one more time, after 4,000 years of separation, God reconnects the interface and the human and the divine come together one more time in the person of Jesus Christ. And it is the birthing of new creation because that's where it begins again. Because if any man be in Christ, he is new creation. Now, what's so powerful to me uh, about that is that this new creation man, uh, when Jesus came and reconnected that, the Scripture tells us in Ephesians 1 that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, God would gather together in one all things that are in heaven and all things that are on earth, even in Him. And so th that which is in heaven, God, and that which is in earth, man, God brought that together and reconciled us through the death of His cross when He reached up on Calvary's cross, if you will, where the cross horizontally or, or, or vertically and horizontally crossed, He reached up and grabs a hold of God with one hand and reaches, and reaches down and grabs humanity with the other and brings us together and reconciles us and reconnects the interface of heaven and earth and the kingdom of God and the new creation begin to invade the earth with ongoing results. Now all through the scripture you see God make efforts to bring about new creation. You see him even when he brings the children of Israel up out of Egypt he does it in a covenant people. Well, first he chooses a man by the name of Abraham. And Abraham is again a picture of God trying to bring about new creation. He makes a promise that through the seed of Abraham that all the nations of the earth would be blessed and that uh, his name would be great and that God would choose a covenant people who would become what I, I believe the first Adam was supposed to be, blessed to be a blessing and blessed to be the agent of God bringing reconciliation to his creation. Of course, you know, the story goes on that Abraham himself needed rescuing himself and needed salvation, but the ongoing story keeps on because God keeps repeating this. Then he calls the children of Israel up out of Egypt, and he says, I'm going to bring you into a land that flows with milk and honey. That to me is a powerful picture of Eden. And even as a matter of fact, I think it is in Deuteronomy, the 10th chapter, he said, I'm going to give you as the days of heaven on earth. God wanted to come and dwell among his people because his heart was again, let, let them build me a house so I can dwell among them. And of course, you know the story. They pitch God a tent. God comes, he lives in an old flapping tent in a most holy place. But see, he really desired to live and move among his people and to remerge and reconnect the heavens and the earth. But when he said, he laid the foundations of the earth, I plant the heavens and lay the foundations of the earth and say to Zion, you are my people that God was bringing together again in this covenant of people. See, this is, this is covenant language. 
that laying the heavens and, or, or, or planting the heavens and laying the foundations of the earth have to do with covenant language throughout the scripture and to say to Zion, you are my people. Now see what happened, we could see different places through the scripture where God would connect the heavens and the earth. Bethel, for instance, where uh, Jacob wrestled with the angel. He's called the name of this place Bethel, the house of God. And when he called it the house of God, he said the angels of God ascended and descended. So heaven, the Bethel, the house of God, was where heaven and earth connected. So to the Jewish mindset, the place where heaven and earth met together was in their temple, in their covenant, and in their land. And when I began to really look at this and see what he was saying about the heavens and the earth were joined together, but see, you go through the scriptures and all kinds of temples were being built. Herod builds one, he restores one. Ezra and Nehemiah restore one. Solomon builds God a house, and then God says, where's the house you'd build for me? Seeing the heavens are my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where's the house that you would build for me? In other words, the Most High is not interested in buildings made with hands, but he says in the, in, in the scripture in Isaiah, but to this man will I look, to a man who is of a broken and a contrite spirit. But the old heavens and the old earth that was about to be folded and put away like a garment, See, because to none of the angels did he put in subjection the world to come. And I'm going to deal with that in greater detail as we get into the next segment. But the world to come is not a global situation, but it was the, the ongoing uh, new creation that was about to be birthed even through the new creation in Christ in the first century that still is a part of the ongoing redemptive work of God to bring about a redemption to his creation. See, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loves the world. He loves creation. He wants to bring creation into this uh, glorious liberty. Now let me just say this to you. Jesus then shows up in the temple and he makes a whip and begins to drive him. He said, you, you have taken my father's house and you've made it a den of thieves. And he began to show them that what they were dwelling in had become so corrupted by humanity that this old heaven and this old earth called Zion, see this in Isaiah 51, this old creation has to be removed and a new creation has to be birthed. See, hallelujah. When I think about the whole book of Revelation, it almost looks like, as you look at the book of Revelation, it's almost like creation is in reverse. God is decreating, but he's also bringing about a new creation. But one of the things I want you to see before we run out of time here is that this whole thing that he's talking about, I plant the heavens, he was talking about removing what in the Jewish mindset was their heaven and their earth, was their old covenant, their temple, their, their covenant, and their land. And he's saying to them, God is about to remove this. They're going to perish. They're going to wax old like a garment. It is the old garment that we try to put a new patch in. But you cannot put a new patch in an old garment. It becomes worse. He was folding it together, and the heavens and the earth were passing away. That's old covenant terminology. And he was about to give birth to a new covenant, a world that was to come that he did not put in subjection to angels. But the world to come, he put in subjection to the sun. Wow, we're about to run out of time, and I don't know if I really did that justice, but tune in again next week because I want to pick right up where I left off. Don't forget to set your DVR uh, and tune in with us. If you've got a moment and you can help us to take the gospel around the world, please call that number that's on the screen or go to our website, sow a seed into the ministry. It is your faithful support that helps us be able to stay on the air and take the gospel around the world. If you appreciate and enjoy what we're saying, help it by getting behind it. God bless you. We'll see you next week.
I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving Father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.